Uh, hey, patrons, it's Scoots, and it's uh, going to be Thanksgiving next week. I won't be running an episode in the public feed, so there wouldn't be an episode to give you a new, like a brand new one, except, you know, I wanted to because, uh, you, like, there would be no podcast without you. And uh, this is like an interesting behind the scenes thing. So this episode was commissioned by a corporation and they commissioned me to uh, make a special episode for them. And then uh, the deal ended up not working out or maybe one day it will work out. And it was a really fun episode to make. And I, I said, this is a real fun episode that I've never been able to share with anyone ex- except for one of the point people on the project. And I said, well, Jesus, this is a world premiere uh, Maybe one day it'll be uh, like uh, it'll it'll get recommissioned or whatever. Uh, but so check it out and I uh, hope you have a great Thanksgiving next week. You'll have an episode up uh, that'll be coming out the week after. But uh, like uh, next week on the main feed, it'll just be uh, no episode. And that's it. Let's get on with the show. Oh, so I guess like, yeah, you, you, it'll make sense. I'm not even sure how long the episode is because I haven't listened to it. I just uh, made sure I still had a good copy of it. Uh but yeah, here you go. Uh, hey, everybody. My name is uh, Dearest Scooter. I make a podcast called Sleep With Me. And basically the idea of these uh, the podcast episodes and, and this story I'm going to tell you tonight is to take your mind off of stuff. For, for a lot of people, uh, what can keep us up at night is overthinking. Or for some people, it might be something they're physically dealing with. For other people, it might be a busy schedule with travel and, and lack of routine. Uh, for other people, it could be something like in their life they're dealing with. And sleep with me, it kind of is an offering. It's a sleep offering to kind of take your mind off of whatever's keeping you awake, to distract you from the thoughts that you're having and thinking about, geez, how am I going to get to sleep? So the whole idea of the podcast is to take your mind off of whatever's keeping you awake with a story uh, to kind of distract you. But the story is going to be meandering. It's going to be slow paced. I'm going to use these uh, lulling, uh, soothing, creaky dulcet tones. I'm going to be a little bit silly and goofy. So it's kind of like a bedtime story for grown-ups. And all you need to do is kick back. You turn out the lights. You get in bed and press play on these uh, episodes. And you're, here's the great thing. You're under no pressure to fall asleep, but you're also under no pressure to listen to me. Kind of like if you have a friend over... And, you know, they were like a super, like a kind friend. And they're like, well, I'll just sit here and talk about my day. And when I went to the market and what I picked out. And you, But they don't care if you listen. You could fall asleep and then they'll let themselves out. They won't leave any crumbs from their biscuits. Uh, they won't leave any, you know, teacups in the sink or whatever. So they're little audio episodes to put you to sleep. But they're They're silly. Uh, they're kind of fun. They're not terribly interesting. And give it a few tries, and I hope it helps you fall asleep, because I've done I'd make the shows because I have trouble falling asleep, mostly from overthinking. And I find that if I find something that, that takes my mind off of, like, geez, how am I going to get to sleep and all that stuff, uh, it really helps. So the, the, this this particular audio will be a little taste of what the Sleep With Me podcast is like. So I want you to kind of let yourself sink into bed and, you know, get comfortable, pull up those covers and snuggle in or toss those covers off, kick your feet out, puff your pillows, close your eyes as a slow fog descends 
And we're going to head back in time here. All the way back. Uh, we're going to head all the way back uh, to the birth of a classic. The year is 1979. And we're just outside of Frankfurt, Germany. And in preparation for the 1982 FIFA World Cup in Spain, something is being made. And what is it, you might ask yourself? Well, picture a black shoebox with a top and three white diagonal stripes across that box. And as you take the cover off of that shoebox, as you remove the top, a rich leather smell washes past your nostrils. And your hand goes into the box and there's a crinkle of tissue paper. And you reach inside and you feel the soft, supple leather. And you already know what's in there. You know, some might call it a boot. Some might call it a cleat. Some might call it a shoe. But it doesn't matter. Because you know what everyone calls it. The Copa. The Copa Mundial. And even as your hand touches it and the paper is still over the top of the shoe, you can picture that silver lettering along the side. Copa Mundial. And you take it in your hands and you pull it out. The incredible touch and feel in your hand as you look over the stitching in the shine of the leather, you look at the dual-density outsole, and you know this is the shoe that set the standard on the field for decades. It was behind the finesse of Zidane and Maradona, of Pele and Breckenbauer, of Kaká and Klosa, of Bale. And this is a shoe... This soon will be on your foot, a piece of kit, a boot, a twinkle in a child's eye. But it's also the great equalizer, because not only has it graced the feet of giants, but it's available for you right now. And not only are you holding it in your hand, but maybe you're holding it in your memory like I am. All the way back to soccer, all the way back to the pitch of my youth. And back then, as it is now, the choice was always simple. The choice was Copa. And it's, it, as I said, it's a classic. As you flip it over and you look at the conical cleats, the rivets at the forefoot shining, reflecting your glowing eyes. The bone-hard outsole, that floppy tongue. You say, Jesus, like, am I the kind of person that's going to fold the tongue down or the kind that's going to keep it up? And then you look at, look at all the players on your team you've been looking up to, those older kids. How do they manage these, these laces, and how am I going to manage mine? Am I going to double-knot these? Or wrap them around and back up again. 
And you reach your finger out as you smell the shoe. And you run it across those three jagged white stripes on the side. And you bring it closer to your eye to see that silver paint sprayed on there, Copa Mundial. And then you start to dream of the shots uh, coming off of the top of your foot. The four sets of stitches there. The supple touch as you score a goal and you look into the stands and you see everybody cheering for you. And as you put the shoe down and you start to come back to the room and you start to think about uh, putting it on your feet and starting to wear it in as it molds to your feet. You think, Jesus, this is the only cleat, the only boot, the only shoe that really is a legend. And I'm sure you have a personal story drifting through your mind, because I know I do. I grew up in Syracuse, New York, uh, about four hours uh, north of New York City, a place with the the temperature extremes uh, during the soccer football season we had. And I didn't start playing until I was in uh, middle school, grade seven and eight, and when you were at that age, you kind of got whatever cleats you could get your parents to buy for you. But when we started this soccer season, it would start in the end of August, and it would be hot, and it would be humid. And then as the season wore on, it would get into the fall, where at night it would, the temperature could get down to 30, 40 degrees. So you had to be prepared for anything. And, you, you, you know, I don't know if I'm tough, but uh, some of the players, you know, you had to be a little bit tough to want to play in that kind of weather. And you had to love the game. And I remember those early years just trying to, like, uh, learn how to handle the ball and how to play in a team and how to pass and trap and all those things. And I was never uh, one of the most skilled players. I was never one of the most dedicated players. But I was one of those players that was obsessed with kind of the pomp and the, the I guess I was, a, I was your daydreaming, I guess if I had a book title, it would be The Daydreaming Footballer. Uh, that was on the bed, the daydreaming, the footballer who daydreamed on the bench. I don't know what they call the bench, the pine across the world. But I soaked in a lot of uh, games as I started to play on the high school team and uh, junior varsity and then varsity soccer. And I remember the first great player our team had, his name was Kevin. And I remember when I first joined the team, he was talking about his Copas. And he was the one who scored all the goals. He was the one that had the scholarship to play in college. He was also the one he he was the one of those guys that had all the witty jokes. And I said, "Man, is it is it him?" Or so he said, "I'd like to get some of those shoes." And I was the oldest of six kids. And my mom said, "Well, I don't know. Maybe 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 if you play in play soccer next year." You'll have those shoes. 
And that year, and then the next year came, and I played in defense. I was a defender. I'm a left-handed and left-footed person, or you could say no-footed. But uh, the next year came, and I just barely made the team, and so I, I didn't get myself a set of Copas. And that season was my season in 10th grade, I believe, and when 11th grade came around... We had a new coach, and the new coach, his name was Oscar. And Oscar had a much more intense winning outlook about soccer and football. And I remember that summer uh, leading up to it, you know, we, we were all told we would have to be able to run a mile or two miles. I think it was two miles in 15 minutes or you couldn't make the team. Does that sound right? Two miles in 15 minutes? I don't know. Maybe not. Uh, eight and eight is 16. I, I, I guess that is doable. Maybe it was two miles in 20 minutes. And so everybody started running that summer, wanting to impress the new coach. And we were told we would have, I think, triple sessions uh, the two weeks leading up to school starting where you'd go in the early morning at 6 a.m. before it got hot in late August in Syracuse. And you would practice for a few hours, and then you would take a morning break, and then you would practice for a few hours more. And then you'd take a long lunch and maybe take a nap, and then you'd come back and you'd practice some more. And it was a lot of strength and conditioning, and I remember running on our track. It was one of those gravel tracks, soft uh, stone and dirt with clumps of grass. And it didn't really see much action except for these soccer players running in circles trying to get in shape for the season. And I remember, and I remember those uh, uh, triple sessions being really hot and really long and really exhausting. But so much fun and so rewarding, being pushed to our limits to get in really good shape and to get our basics down. A lot of triangles and keep away and just short passes and wind sprints and side sprints and sprint sprints and skip sprints and backward sprints. And if you messed around, you had to run a few laps. And I remember there was a lot of promise that year. There was two really good players on our team named Chris. Uh, the defense was made up of a couple of my friends, Pat and Charlie. And a young man named Tom was in the net. In the uh, midfield was my buddy Rick and my friend Chris and Kurt. And then we had up front a lightning-fast kid named Jeff. And my brother Carl, he was a defender. And as the season came, and as we got prepped for the games, I realized that I would have a role on the bench. But I finally got the one thing I'd been waiting for, which was my first pair of Copas. I'd worn them through those early season drills and ran and ran. 
and the leather had slowly adjusted to my feet, and the shoes had become a part of me. And on that bench, we had a young man, Tomas, from Germany, another young man, Laurent, from France, and then uh, Riad, and Jay, and Tony, and Ed, probably other, a couple other kids. And I, and I spent the year, I, I was a difficult player. I would uh, get out there on the pitch and I would get nervous. And also another thing was when the new coach came, here's a pro tip, just in case any kids are listening. One, you know, copas are sweet. I think we've learned that. They smell good, they feel good, and they play good. But also know your role. I was a good defender. I was left-footed and had had some good playing time in my younger years. But I wanted that flash. I wanted to be the one kicking the ball into the old onion bag. And so I saw with this new coach that I would reinvent myself as a, as a winger. And I guess I, I don't think I had the skill for that. I didn't have the mindset for that. So instead, I, I was on left wing on the pine and if I would have stayed in the role where I was good at uh, keeping the ball away from somebody or taking the ball away, who knows? But we can't look at the past uh, with too much regret, can we? Uh, because I, I don't know if to my coach, to poor Oscar, who had to coach us, and Tom, his assistant, I don't know if to them I was quite a bright spot, but I determined that us kids on the bench... Uh, we would be the, I, I called us the Pinewood Boys. And I always had a lot to say, whether it was to the other team or to the ref or uh, to even our players if I didn't feel like they were uh, pick, picking it up and uh, bringing in their A game. And my mouth tended to run a lot faster than my legs did. But I loved uh, sitting there and w- watching everyone run up and down the pitch and it gave me a chance to pitch uh you know as many jokes as i could think of uh but the one thing i did always notice is is, as people ran by it was easy to tell like uh, when their cleat came up you could see the white of the copa and when i was young and playing that was what the majority of players wore and there was a time when, you know, when you're a younger kid, you might get something that was a little bit more cost-effective. Uh, but when you wanted a, a boot, uh, a shoe, a cleat uh, with a real feel, with real touch, that was the shoe you went to the soccer store and bought. And I don't think any soccer store owner or employee would tell you that those cleats have ever been returned. No one's ever gotten them home and been like, well, these are no good. Now, maybe you get the wrong size because you've bought too small or too big. Uh, But that would be the only reason. But that would be the only reason you take your shoes back uh, if you bought the Copa Mundial's. But I always wonder what the shoe would think about me sitting on the bench 
cracking wise if one day you know the pitch got misty it was one of those hot Syracuse days uh, September when the summer heat caught back up with us and maybe it had rained and a humid mist engulfed the field and I heard a sound a dreamlike sound and I lost sight of the other players on the field. And then I felt something tapping me on my shoulder. Something like uh, familiar, but something that never tapped me on my shoulder. And they looked just like, a, is that the tip of a shoelace tap, tap, tapping, rap, rap, rapping on my shoulder? A long black shoelace and... And then as I turn, it kind of reaches out to me, and I grab on, and I start to climb off my bench, away from my high school teammates. I hear the cheer of a goal, and I say, okay, well, that's probably good, because I think that sounded like some of my friends cheering. Maybe my buddy Chris, maybe my buddy Rick, uh, or maybe it was a good defensive play by Charlie or Pat or my brother Carl or a save by Tom, great pass by Kurt, whatever it could be. Those sounds started to drift away as I climbed up the shoelace and I felt myself lifting, lifting above the city of Syracuse. And then I saw above me, they said, is that the bottom of a boot? Ian, it's not often you say that while you're climbing up a shoelace in the sky. But if you're going to have say it's at the bottom of a boot, it would be good to know what you're in for. And when you see the black conical cleats and the white undersole, you say, okay, well, that's that bone-hard undersole and that black conical cleats. And as I climb and I reach my hand out to the side of the shoe... Oh, I say, well, that, oh, boy, that is smooth. That is some smooth, smooth. And I say, and then you see it at Copa Mundial. And then, actually, I was able to get a good handhold because of the three stripes uh, to pull myself up a little higher until I could grab the tongue and really swing my... And then I said, well... Is this a, is this a, I realize I'm in a giant boot in the sky. One, is this a used boot? Because I don't know if I want to jump right into it, if it's some giant's boot. If I should, and then the boot kind of did a little tilt left and right to kind of say, hey, you're okay. And then I wondered, what's what's a, what's a shoelace policy on a giant flying boot? Uh, do I, and then I said, well, probably I it lowered it down. Maybe I should have, so I pulled the shoelace back up, and then I I did attempt to start tying the boot back, but, it, like, it's hard when it's a giant shoe and those laces are long, and, you know, I'm not good at tying shoes to begin with, and then, like, and I'm tying them from a different angle, and then I'm also in the sky, and we were above the clouds, so I wasn't, you know, I was a little disoriented. And I felt like the boot was laughing at me. And then I said, are, are we going on an adventure? And the boot went, went up and down, like, kind of, I think was the answer the boot was telling me. And I said, do you mind if I call you Kopi? 
And the boot clearly shook its head no. And I said, is it just, Co-? I said, are you Copa or Mundial? And then the, the boot vibrated like a laugh. I said, okay, I got a laugh out of this one. And I said, where are we off to? And then the boot just shot off at a, it's a high speed. I mean, I'm sure these shoes have gone fast before on the foot of a real speedster. And so I settled in to, to, to the sock liner. I got comfortable. I got my back up against the heel. You know, I put my arms on the side of that leather. I, I felt like I, I said, this is as comfortable as a couch. This shoe fits me great, except that it's fitting my whole body shoe, but it's fine. And we started to travel the world, flying above pitches in South America, in Africa, New Zealand, and Australia, across China, across Asia, over Russia, over Eastern Europe, over Northern Europe, and, you know, straight down through all of Europe through the Middle East, down the Nile, out to sea. Then we went supersonic. Then I said, is that Greenland? And I said, that did not seem like the most efficient. And the boot just kind of told me to be quiet. Over the top of the world and back down and around Cape Horn. I mean, every time it's tough to transfer this because there were so many pitches we went across. And then I would, like, I, it, it started to get really fun. I think this, like, if I had superpowers, it would have been better. But we made a good team, this giant boot and I. Since I didn't have a defined role, I said, well, if this boot, maybe I was selected for my ability to sit on the bench of my high school soccer team and shout things, because that's mostly what I did, unless we were winning or losing by five goals or more. Also, I was good at testing coaches' patience. I was in really good physical condition, so I could run a lot, uh, which I did, you know, because you say, uh, using bad word, the relapse, uh, you know, making fun of teammates, making fun of referees, uh, you know, so I did do a lot of running. But I would always yell down at different things at the pitch, and I think, like, somehow through the magic of the subsoul, or, you know, the conical cones, the magical conical cones of a giant boot, a giant Copa Mundial boot. I would, uh, I think it would translate. I'd be like, has anyone seen? And I was in the left. You'd say most people, it's, it's fine that you make the assumption I was in the right shoe, but I was in the left shoe. But I would always say I'm still in the right shoe. Because I thought, the, like, the first ten times I said, it, said that, the, the boot laughed. After that, if you've ever been in a flying boot, you wouldn't think you'd be able to tell when it's size, but you can. But I would, over pitches across the world, I'd yell, anybody seen a giant boot? And they'd say, right, and i say, the other one. I'm looking, I think we're looking for a missing boot, or we're looking to inspire. And it's in, in like, usually what we'd inspire is a goal from the one person the one young man, the one young woman who's paying attention to the game and not the giant flying boot, and they would score a goal. 
And that was it. So then I started to feel really good. I said, well, we're giving the gift of goals across the globe. And also of goof, you know, goofing. And so then I started to train like, because, uh, tra- I mean, it just wasn't, I mean, I don't know if you've ever heard about this. Uh, I think most people were so amazed that they don't talk about it. The man in the flying boat. Yeah, that's right. That's the story. You're right. You're right. But yeah, I trained, so I would do some swinging routines on the laces. I worked on my uh, forearm strength so I could hang on one hand on one of the uh, cleats. Well, well, those are things I dreamed about doing while I was sleeping in the flying boat. Actually, like uh, lassoing stuff with with the laces. I did try that, and unfortunately I did lasso a bull. And that didn't turn out well. So Pamplona, we only visited once because after that, they like the bullfight. I guess I don't know what I did. I just lasted like, uh, but anyway, we weren't welcome back there. But I'm sure uh, another, you know, normal person in a giant boot would probably would be. And as we traveled the globe, I quickly learned a few valuable lessons. One, you know, if you if you can fly by boots, uh, it's great. Uh, and especially if the like this particular boot, Kopi, I like I I think I was still calling the boot Kopi Mundi. I did call it Mundi, and sometimes I'd use voices like uh, you know I would act out plays. It's Mundi, Mundi. Have you seen Kopi? And then I kept, you know, then I did, I probably, I'm over-relying on narrative versus, you know, so I'd say, are we looking for your lost love? And, uh, but I think the boot was keeping something to itself, but I did learn a few things. You know, one, traveling by boot is sweet. Traveling by giant Copa Mundial, amazing. Uh, Two, there's some kids there, if you're on the pitch and the ball's in play, pay attention. Even if there's a giant boot in the sky. That could be your chance to score a goal. And people love this game. It brings them joy. And there's one piece of language that translates across the globe, and that's a smile. And a wave, uh, at, you know, at a flying boot and a, and a man yelling nonsense out of the boots or trying to do tricks. They also try to do a lot of handstands. That's... In, I think when you're bad at doing handstands, that's also an international symbol for, like, a new, you know, they say, well, that guy. And then, like, one guy, most uh, places we visited, there was also a young man or young woman on the bench that was, like, uh, they say, well, I'm the one that tries to do handstands on this bench when the coach isn't looking. But, you know, as we kept traveling the world, I, I, I knew... There was a missing boot. And then I realized, he said, well, this, is, this isn't a dream, but this isn't quite, you know, real because this would be too sweet. And then I said, wait a second. I have two boots on my feet, two well-worn shoes that fit me like a glove. And I said to my good friend, Kopi, Old Monday, I said, and then, you know, the boot shook its head because cause we were on a long journey because uh, some of the parts of the globe, especially in countries like America, where we say, well, geography, uh, 
too much work. You forget the giant distances uh, you have to cover. And that's when, you you know, you really get to know your boots. Uh, but somehow I'd forgotten the boots on my feet. And I said, wait a second. And then I scooped out, like I took them off, and I scooped up some little cloud, you know, magical cloud dust, as they say. And I said, you need a friend, you know, like a, like a friend that gets you better, because obviously I'm human and you're, 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 because obviously I'm human and you're a cleat. So I took off my boots and I'd scooped up that magical cloud. I also tried to get a bird to kiss my, my, my kit or whatever you'd call it. You say, can you, can you kiss these? Do Do you have magical bird kisses? And the birds would just call. Doesn't matter which which kind of bird. Uh, they, you know, they're all busy. They're like we're, we're you know, we're traveling, quit pestering. I say, I just need a magical bird kiss to seal the deal. And since I couldn't get a magical bird kiss, I said, "Geez, listen, you, we've had a great adventure, the two of us, and it's something I could have never asked for. And I presume I have to go back to my regular life of sitting on the bench." And maybe I'll learn a lesson of patience and cheering just positivity. But I want to take these boots. And I think I have an idea. If we can find someone in the world that needs them. Like I think we can do some sort of magical thing where my two boots and one giant boot become one pair. And this, the boot, whether you want to call it Copy or Monday or just uh, my friend, he trembled with excitement and shot off. And we were going so fast, my head was spinning. So I don't know where we ended up, uh, but it was another field covered in mist. And it was a cheer in a distant language. A cheer on the wind, a cheer of joy. And there was a young person sitting on a bench, and they had no shoes. And I climbed down the shoelace, and then I swung around, but the kid was paying attention to the game, so they were good, good on them. Then I landed at the bench, and of course the child looked at me like, what? But right next to me, was a pair of Copa Mundials in this young child's size. And the child looked at them and then looked at me and I nodded. I said, that's, I said, this is Copi and that's Monday. They don't like to be called that. They're best friends that are finally reunited in the place they've always dreamed of being on your foot. And I'd like to say that that young person has led their nation's team through tournament after tournament, and they're considered one of the greatest players in the world. And they're my best friend. But, it, like, two of the three of those are true. And, unfortunately, also, just a little, just in case you do get, you start traveling by boot, no, like, I did have to find, make my own arrangements to get back. Luckily... I was able to travel by dream back to get back home, so I didn't have to buy buy plane tickets. But finally, I got back to my bench, and of course, my coach wanted to know where my my shoes were, 
And I smiled at him, and he, and I, and then I just started really cheering extra hard for my team. And my coach, he moved on. He, he said, "Well, because the game was almost over anyway." But I never forgot that day. And in all honesty, I'd never forget the Copa Mundial. It, to me, it is tied to my days as a young man on the pitch. It's tied to my love of football, uh, the smell, the shape, every stitch, the color, the stripes, the cleats, the rivets, the bottom, the tongue, the laces. It's all seared, infused with what football is to me. So treasure those memories. Treasure the game and treasure your boots. Good night.